It's the time of year when we're all thinking about goals and priorities. Now is the time to plan your next trip. Whatever kind of travel fills you up, whether it's lounging on the beach, connecting with family and friends, or going on a foreign adventure, Expedia has the tools you need to plan a great trip. Download the Expedia app or visit Expedia.com to start planning. You do need to be a OneKey member to use price tracking. Signing up is easy and free. Expedia, made to travel. Hey, Fidelity. How can I remember to invest every month? With the Fidelity app, you can choose a schedule and set up recurring investments in stocks and ETFs. Oh, that sounds easier than I thought. You got this. Yeah, I do. Now, where did I put my keys? You will find them where you left them. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE SIPC. I'm Oprah Winfrey. Welcome to Super Soul Conversations, the podcast. I believe that one of the most valuable gifts you can give yourself is time. Taking time to be more fully present. Your journey to become more inspired and connected to the deeper world around us starts right now. When Cheryl Strayed began her 1,100-mile trek from the Mojave Desert in California all the way to the Cascade Mountains in Oregon, she had no, did you hear me, no experience as a long-distance hiker. She'd never even gone backpacking before. She just knew that she had lost everything, and she believed this hike could somehow help her find her way out. I had been at this place in my life when I was out of sorts and what I think of as at the bottom of my life. Her downward spiral had begun four years earlier when she was 22. I was a senior in college when my mother thought what she got was a bad cold. She went to the doctor and we found out that she had advanced stage lung cancer and she died seven weeks later. I was becoming the woman I was going to become. And in the midst of this, I lost my my one root, my, my role model, my mother. Cheryl's biological father had left the family long ago when Cheryl was six. Her stepfather, Ed, helped raise her. But after her mother died, Ed moved on, remarried, and started a new family. And so when I lost my mom, I really truly became an orphan. Cheryl had married young, at only 19 years old, to a 21-year-old named Paul in a small ceremony on her family's land. I loved my husband, he loved me, but I was just too young and in too much grief to sustain that kind of bond. So Cheryl sought comfort elsewhere. I needed male attention. I needed men to want to, you know, uh, be sexually involved with me. I needed that kind of affirmation. And so I sought it. And um, I, you know, cheated on my husband in ways that I knew at the time were, you know, the wrong, I knew it was the wrong thing to do, but I couldn't really keep myself from doing it. In my grief, so much spun out of control. I really tried very hard to continue in my life in the way that I was sort of meant to and that I had promised my mother I would. But I ultimately failed at that. And I think that so much of what I write about in Wild is coming to peace with that. And with each step on that trail, Cheryl began her journey from lost to found. So this is the thing. I read this and was so excited about it, I said, I can't keep it to myself. I just can't keep it to myself. I need to shout from a mountaintop. I need to shout on the web. I need to tell everybody I know about this book because it is so thrilling to have this work and to know that it actually happened. It's not a novel. That's right. That's right. That it actually happened. It's a real story. You know, what's so interesting is it is just part of my life, you know. It's, It's not... It's not just a story. It's it's one it's one of the things that happened in my life, and 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 I will say it's one of the most dramatic things that's ever happened. But ultimately, it just goes back to that me telling a story about something. This is so inspirational. No matter where you are in your climb in life and what you're doing, you have to keep getting yourself up. And every mm-hmm. day, no matter what obstacle is there, you just have to keep getting up. What does it mean to uh, be wild? I think that. You know, it's interesting to me that you say it's so inspiring because really the place that this story began was at my least ins- inspirational moment. Yes. You know, I think that so much of that story um, 
is about me having been lost and, and reached the bottom of my life. From and lost to found. From lost to found. On and the I, Pacific Crest Trail. That's where wild begins. You know, that, that when, 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 I, when my mother died, it mm. brought me to what I think of as my most savage self. Mm. It stripped me of the, of the thing I needed. It was, it was, my mother was the taproot of my life, and, and suddenly I didn't have that anymore. And I had wild love for my mother. Mm -hmm. I had wild sorrow. Mm -hmm. And then I went wild. I yeah. went wild into, the, into, the, into my life. I'm turning to page 23, because I remember that's where it is. Yeah. Uh, angry with God and my mother, as you sat by your mother's bedside in her last days, I prayed fervently, rabidly to God. I love your sentences. Thank Sometimes you. I would just underline, because I watched, I, I read this in, with a real book, I read it with an e-book, I read it with my Kindle, I read it with an iPad, and I just have markings all over the place. But I, sometimes I would just mark, love this sentence. <laughs> Thank you. I prayed fervently, rabidly to God, any God, to a God I could not identify or find. I cursed my mother, who'd not given me any religious education, mm -hmm. resentful of her own repressive Catholic upbringing. She'd avoided church altogether in her adult life. And now she was dying, I didn't even have God. I prayed to the whole wide universe and hoped that God would be in it listening to me. I prayed and prayed and prayed. And then I faltered, not because I couldn't find God, but because suddenly I absolutely did. God was there, I realized. And God had no intention, I love this so much, it makes my eyes water, of making things happen or not, or saving my mother's life. I think that that is the moment where I had a more complex relationship to God. You know, that God was not a grantor of wishes. I think, you know, a, a lot of children think, oh, okay, you know, I'm going to pray to God and I'll get that, you mm -hmm. know, new, new toy for Christmas or whatnot. And, and I realized, you know, here I was 22 and my mother was suddenly being taken from me. And I had that child version of spirituality. And right. I was like, what do I want? Yes. Please take mercy on me. Right. And I realized I wasn't going to get it. And my mother wasn't going to get it. And I knew that, you know, count, I mean, I knew that rationally thousands of people don't get it we know people bad things happen to people all the time but when they happen to us we think well wait a minute why would God do that to me mm -hmm. and so in that moment I realized yeah I'm going to have to figure out uh, a new definition of God mm -hmm. and that was a wild experience too Cheryl's unanswered prayers left her feeling empty and alone and so she did what most of us do she searched for ways to fill herself up to fill that void. About three years after my mom died, I came to Portland, Oregon. Uh, I was living in Minnesota at the time, and my marriage had reached this place where we decided to separate. And so I was in this really, uh, I, I was heartbroken, and I met this very charismatic and charming young man who I, I pretty immediately took up with. And he immediately introduced me to heroin. I had never been somebody who abused drugs or alcohol. I'd always uh, been a fairly uh, sort of moderate person when it came to those things. But the first time I used heroin, it was different than anything else I've ever experienced to this day, really. It was the first thing that, that took all of my pain away. It took all of my uncertainty, my sorrow, my doubts. You know, after I would use when I, when I was high, it felt like I could live in the world that was that was without my mother and I could live in the world where I had destroyed my marriage and all of those things. I wanted, I wanted to be reckless. I had had to become so grown up when my mother died. In some ways I was just saying, you know what, I'm just going to be young. I'm going to be in my 20s and I'm going to be dangerous and, and I don't have a parent who's going to stop me. I was so angry that I didn't have a mom or a dad. I was so angry about that and in some ways I wanted to, to uh, you know, I wanted to make someone pay by being a bad girl, and so I was a bad girl. Okay, what does heroin feel like when you take it? What does it feel like? Um, I, I, I hesitate to say. It felt, it felt really good to me. Uh -huh. It felt uh, pleasurable, but more importantly, it felt like what it did is it made everything okay. It made all the facts of my life okay. Mm -hmm. It made it okay that my mom was dead. Nothing has ever made it okay. It's still not okay. Mm -hmm. My mom's been dead 21 years. It's still not okay. Wow. You know? Mm -hmm. That doesn't to say I haven't gone on and it's not, I don't cry over it every day. I, you know, have found a place to hold my mom in my heart in a, in a way that actually makes me happy. But it's not okay that she's dead. Mm -hmm. And heroin made, it, it negated, it negated that sorrow. 
And, um, and I think too, so there was that, it was actually like a cure. It was a cure for pain, which is pretty spectacular. I think the other piece of it is, um, I think I was actually, and I can only say this in retrospect, I was just looking for attention. Mm-hmm. You know, I needed I don't somebody. Know why you, I'd always heard that you become instantly addicted. So I'm like, why weren't you a heroin addict? Well, I was heading down that path. You say about heroin on page 143 of uh, the book, but walking along a path I carved myself, one I hoped was the PCT, was the opposite of using heroin. The trigger I pulled in stepping into the snow made me more alive to my senses than ever. Uncertain as I was as I pushed forward, I felt right in my pushing as if the effort itself meant something, that perhaps being amidst the undesecrated beauty of the wilderness meant I too could be undesecrated, regardless of what I'd lost or what had been taken from me, regardless of the regrettable things I'd done to others or myself or the regrettable things that had been done to me. Of all the things I'd been skeptical about, I didn't feel skeptical about this. The wilderness had a clarity that included me. Mm-hmm. What a fantastic sentence. <laughs> Thank you. Wow, that's beautiful. Makes my Thank eyes you. water. Thank you. The wilderness had a clarity that included me. And it has a clarity that includes all of us. Mm-hmm. I believe that. The idea for Cheryl Strayed's wild 1,100-mile journey began in 1994 when a blizzard left her car buried under snow. This is marvelous how life happens to us. Needing a shovel, Cheryl headed to the outdoor supply store called REI. I glanced over and I saw these books on the shelf, and this was one of them, the Pacific Crest Trail Volume 1, California. And um, I'd never heard of the trail before. I had never gone backpacking before. I'd done a lot of hiking and grown up in the wilderness of northern Minnesota. But, you know, something about this book called to me. So I, I turned it over and read the back, and it told the story of this amazing national scenic trail that went from Mexico to Canada through California, Oregon, and Washington along the spine of the Sierra Nevada and the Cascade Range. And it just, it seemed like such an important thing, such a grand thing, such a significant thing. And I was none of those things at that moment in my life. And I just knew that I wanted to attach myself to it. I knew instinctively that um, the wilderness was the place that I felt most gathered. And I was in serious need of gathering at that time. So what happened is that day, I took it, I took the book and I set it back on the shelf and I walked out and I dug myself out of that blizzard and in in ways both literal and and figurative. And I just decided um, a couple days later that I had to return to the store and buy it. So I did, I drove to the REI in Bloomington, Minnesota and I bought the book. And I read the book over and over again and I began hiking the trail about five months later. Okay, so this is what's so amazing to me, and everybody listening to us has had this moment where you feel like your life is just not where you want it to be. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you live long enough, that happens right. to you. You feel like your life is not where you want it to be. And you are at the REI store, which I never right. even heard of until two years ago when I went uh-huh. camping with Gail at Yosemite. You're at the REI store, mm-hmm. and you see a little book. And you know, I think you'll understand this. I mean, many books have changed my life. Yes. You know, they have been the works of great literature. Yeah. But this was a guidebook, a wilderness guidebook. And I picked it up and I read the back and it's the first time I've, I've heard of this trail. I'm embarrassed to admit the first time I'd heard about it was reading about really? it. Really? book, yes. I know. And all over the nation I asked people and about many, most we people in the We all know the, the Appalachian audience, Trail. We all know the Appalachian Trail. We all know Kilimanjaro. This is in your backyard, it's Oprah. A, it's it's over the hill. It's over the it's, hill. Yes. It is. And you don't know about it, but you know what? You do. Now I do. You do. You did. You did before you knew. I think that I. I really believe this. I think that there is something really powerful about something as big and magnificent as that trail for everyone who lives in this great well, nation I've of ours. Well, I've flown over it. I don't that know how many times. People taught to preserve that corridor. Yes. And it's there for us. Okay. It's yours. You okay. can walk that trail. You know. And every everyone. Now I know, want to. Now that you've done it. You have to. Yeah. So this is what I thought. I thought. You know. I just knew instinctually this is something magnificent and I needed to attach myself to something magnificent. Okay, standing in line at the REI as you're picking Mm -hmm. up the book, did you think, oh, gee, I want to hike this? Or did you think, what was your initial feeling when you read that? 
You know, the best way for me to describe it, I think I say this in the book, something bloomed in my, in my chest. Mm -hmm. I felt some sense of opening or, or wonder. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, maybe I should do that. And I put the book back and I left. Mm -hmm. And then I came back the next day and bought the book. And so began a really long journey. Mm. Now, there was so many things that now you can look back and say, oh, that was a coincidence, that was a coincidence. And mm -hmm. later in the book, you talk about how everything, one thing leads to another thing. I don't have it marked here, I have it on the iPad. But uh, right. you have how one thing leads to another thing leads to another thing, and how you see how everything falls into place, uh -huh. right? And, yeah. we, and yet we can't see what it is at yeah. the time. Right. And we don't know. We, and good and bad. Yes. You know, we don't know how, you know, how does it affect your life if you, if you have a mother who didn't love you well? Yes. How does it affect your life if you had a mother who did? Um, those are, those are mm. deep questions that we've all had to journey far in answering in our lives if we've done our work here, you know. And I think that the same is true of the, of the, of the smaller things, you know. There was that book, there was that book in my hand at, that, at the moment that it needed to be in my hand. And I don't know, I've been asked before, well, what if it had been a different book? Right. You know, would you have but gone somewhere else? Right. And it wasn't. Yeah. But, you know, and maybe the answer is maybe I would. I mean, maybe maybe it wasn't just this this place, the Pacific Crest Trail. Maybe it was, it was that I needed to venture. I knew I needed to go into the wilderness somewhere that wasn't the wilderness of my home, mm -hmm. where I'd grown up in northern Minnesota. Mm -hmm. And so I don't know. It's a, it's a mystery, isn't it? It's one of the most compelling mysteries, I think, of our lives. How do, how do, how do we make meaning of what happens Now, had you us? been a hiker before? You know, I had hiked. I grew up in northern Minnesota um, on 40 acres of land um, in a house that my family built. We built ourselves. No electricity, no mm -hmm. running water, no mm -hmm. under plumbing. Um, and that, you know, I think a lot of people hear that and they think, oh, your parents were hippies. And they weren't so much hippies, it was more that we were poor, you mm -hmm. know, and uh, we couldn't afford to get those things until, you know, several years over the years. But um, so I had experience in the wilderness and I had and I had hiked, um, but I'd like driven in my truck and then gone on a day hike, mm -hmm. you know. But I had never gone backpacking, never gone backpacking until the first night of my trip. Wow. Which turns out is not such a great idea. <laughs> It's not so advisable. But I've always been someone who had to learn the hard way. And Cheryl learned the hard way on the very first day of her trip. So this is Monster, the pack I carried all the way on the Pacific Crest Trail that summer of 1995. It's still my backpack. So on day one of my PCT hike, I w woke up in a motel in the town of Mojave, California, and I had all of the things there in that room with me that I was going to take on the Pacific Crest Trail. I had not, before this moment, packed Monster. I knew it was a good idea to pack Monster, but I just hadn't done it for whatever reason. And so I, I got all this stuff, I piled it all on the bed, and I crammed it into this backpack, um, which at this moment didn't have the nickname Monster yet. The nickname Monster was earned. So when you finally put that backpack together, mm -hmm. and I love that moment where you're in the hotel and you put that backpack together and you go to lift it off the floor, it doesn't move. It does not move. Now, this is what I learned about myself uh, reading this. I was thinking, gosh, I am such a wuss because that would have been the moment. I, I really, I'm thinking, gee, I have got to toughen up because that would have been the moment I would say, that's a sign. I'm not supposed to go on this trip. Oh gosh, because I need all these things. But no, instead you hunched yourself over right. and put on this monster of a backpack. I did, and then and then and couldn't, couldn't stand. Couldn't stand. No, I was hunching in, in a remotely upright position. Because it's more yeah. than half your weight. Yes. 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 Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. And you know, part of it was, you know, my biggest fear. Yeah. My biggest fear on this whole trip was that I would fail. Yeah. And I was failing in so many ways, and I could not fail. I'm too proud. I was too proud to go, you know, have to call my friends and say, you know, how I was going to hike that trail, I didn't do it. So no matter what, no matter what, I had to get that pack attached to me. And it didn't feel good. It felt terrible because oh. it was really painful. I thought, well, maybe this is just what backpacking is like, you know. And um, it turns out I was carrying way too much stuff. But it really, I think... Because even experienced people who would see you yeah, on the trail would, would say, this is a what in the world. Yeah, they would say, what are you carrying? And, yes. and I could see that my pack... 
um, you know, it was just so much bigger than, than everyone else's pack. But, you know, I, I really needed, you know, in retrospect, I needed to carry that heavy weight. I needed to carry the weight that I couldn't bear. Ooh. That's good <laughs> metaphor. Very nice. That's what wild is about. Ooh. It's about how we bear what we cannot bear. Though Cheryl Strayed saw rattlesnakes, bears, and traces of mountain lions on the trail, she says it was human beings she feared the most. Most of the men I met on the trail, and the, those people who have read Wild know this already, were amazing, generous, good-natured. I was one of the guys on the trail, and I was just treated so kindly by so many people. But I did meet a couple of hunters, um, bow hunters, in central Oregon who were not that way with me. They were sexually uh, you know, suggestive and saying all sorts of things to me um, that a woman doesn't want to have said to her when she's alone in the woods, um, ever really, but especially when she's alone in the woods. And I was terrified. I honestly thought that night um, that they were going to rape me, actually. And I really thought about what, how I was going to respond if uh, they took things further than, than, they, than they went. Um, and I was going to fight with everything in me. And luckily, uh, you know, I was, we were able to sort of part ways without things escalating, but I was terrified. And it did really change the way that I uh, thought about myself on the trail. Do you think that this hike would have been different if you hadn't have been female? Nobody is threatened by a woman alone. Mm. You know, the whole cultural narrative around women alone is that, you know, we're basically we're prey, you know, yes. we're victims, you know, all of yes. that. And so, you know, when I flipped that narrative and, and said, yeah, here I am, I'm out here doing this thing, people really wanted to help me. Mm -hmm. They wanted to take care of me. They wanted to give me things. They mm -hmm. were kind to me. Mm -hmm. When were you and most afraid? Be, were you most afraid when you ran out of water? I was most afraid when I ran out of water mm -hmm. because there I knew this wasn't an imaginary thing. This wasn't something I was like thinking, well, you know, this is, might happen. This was, I was, had no water and I was in this 100 degree Bigfoot heat. This wasn't maybe out here. <laughs> exactly. This is, I do not have any water. I don't have any water and I'm, it's 100 degrees and I'm carrying a pack and I don't know where the next water source will be. You know, I was, I knew that I was going to walk to what I, this pond and I hoped it had water, but it, it, it might not have, you know, so when, when I got When you got to there, that tank and that tank was? It was empty. It was empty. And I got to that pond and that water was just like mud. Mud. And I, and I pumped the water out of that and drank it. And it, it was the worst water I've ever had in my life and the best water too. Did you know that it's Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month? Macy's is highlighting some really cool AAPI-owned brands right now, like Cardon, Kaja, Amelia George, and Hey Meave. Plus, you can help to support college access and student success when you donate online or round up in-store to APIA Scholars. APIA is the nation's leading nonprofit organization devoted to the academic, personal, and professional success of Asian American, Native Hawaiian, and Pacific Islander students. Shop Asian American and Pacific Islander-owned brands at Macy's.com or in-store. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. You know, I learned a lot about myself, and I think everybody who reads it says, oh, would I have been able to do that, or could I have done that, or that's when I would have turned back. There is no question <laughs> that there were many moments that were frightening. And I think I could have handled the rattlesnake. Yeah, go around it. I could have even handled the bear. I would have been afraid. I could have even handled men on the trail if they hadn't bothered me. But what would have really sent me into psychological trauma and I would still need to be cared for <laughs> and would become a babbling crazy person uh -huh. is the night you laid out in the wilderness and you didn't go under the tent. No, I didn't. And something happened. 
Yes. Do you want to tell us what that was? Well, it was this very hot day, and I had come to this pond, this basically this oversized mud puddle. Yes. And I was so exhausted. I'd run out of water. I drank my water. I fell asleep on my tarp right next to the pond thinking I didn't need... You run out of water, so you pumped. So I pumped out of that, you know. Yeah. And so I, I lie down on my tent. I'm just too exhausted. Because you're so exhausted to even to put even up the tent. To pitch my tent. Yeah. And it's so hot anyway. So I think I'll just sleep, you know, under the stars. Uh-huh. And I wake up. And I have this sensation that somebody is touching me. Just little hands all like over. Like cool, wet hands. Cool, wet hands. Oh! Cool, wet hands. Yes. And I wake up slowly, and I realize that I am absolutely covered, absolutely covered in little frogs that are have are leaving the pond, because now the day has, the sun has set. They're leaving the pond and doing whatever frogs do up beyond the pond, out, outside of it. And yeah. they're all, I'm in the path of their migration. So I'm covered with black frogs and I jump up shrieking, yeah, shrieking, yeah, yeah, yeah. running. And as I'm going, I'm trying not to step on them and kill them. Because, and you squash them? And I do. Of course I do. And I've never forgotten the feeling that, of underneath my feet. That, of squashing yes, little black frogs? Yes, it was horrifying. And I was terrified. Were they like down in your... They were everywhere. I was trying to get them off my... Because I was wearing a t-shirt and shorts. And I'm, as I'm running mm. i'm screaming stepping on them trying to get them off out of my clothes and i also have to drag all my gear you know everything that's on that tarp is you know my pack everything and i'm dragging all these frogs with me and yes it was terrifying it's true it was that the, the animal that frightened me the most on my hike <laughs> was the little black without frog question without i'm gl- glad to know you're a girl after my own heart yes because you know, everywhere i've been they're like why are you afraid of those frogs Oh my gosh. I think I I would be forever traumatized by it. Let's talk about the sense of isolation and aloneness. At one point you speak about um, the, 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 the wilderness and everything in it and how you are a part of it. Uh It feels like you're a part of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It took some time to feel that way. Well, the first eight days of my hike, I didn't see another human being right right there. I could have just gone home at the end of those eight days and had a profound experience. Just that experience. Just the first eight days. Just just eight days of not seeing Alone another. Have you ever not... gone eight days without seeing no, another human being? No, no, no. Yeah, I had neither. It was interesting. And completely silent. So completely you're not silent. like listening to earphones. You don't have no. an iPod because there weren't iPods. There weren't. In 1995, there were not... I didn't have any electronics with me. You didn't have a cell phone. I didn't have. I didn't know what a cell phone was. Wow. <laughs> I mean, I don't think there were cell phones. Were there cell in phones? In 1995, they were those big honking Maybe things. Maybe you had still. a cell phone. No, like I did big. not. I just got one. So believe really? me. Really? Yes. Yeah. yeah I, no, I, there I, were I no. Held out and, to the end. You know, I didn't have music. I would sing to myself in my head. It, my mind really tried to entertain itself. Wow. Um, but after. I think it's, you know, I've been out there eight yes. days without another human being. And then I was out there another, you know, and I kept going and going. And pretty soon I realized um, that this place felt like home. That this place felt like the place I belonged. It, se- it, it, it seemed to, uh, it seemed to, you know, when you first go into a new house and it doesn't take you into its arms. It's, right. it's you know, but then after you've been there a while, it does. Yeah. And the wilderness did that. So, on page 69, you say, no escape or denial. The thing about hiking the Pacific Crest Trail, the thing that was so profound to me that summer, and yet also, like most things, so very simple, was how few choices I had and how often I had to do the thing I least wanted to do. How there was no escape or denial, no numbing it down with a martini or covering it up with a roll in the hay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was relentless. It was. I was out there by myself walking down a trail. Those were the, that was the fact of my I life. I know, you just saying that <laughs> gives me chills. Because this is what I want everybody to think about. I'm sure you have if you, if you, over, if you have already read the book. But as you're reading the book, when you're walking the trail at night, we're not talking about night with lit streets or a lit uh, paved uh, path. We're talking about so pitch black, you can't even see your hand in front of you. Right, right. Or the stars. Sometimes there were stars and I could see my and hand. And sometimes they're not. <laughs> but sometimes they're not. Sometimes they're not. And, but what is out there um, is the great, vast wilderness. Yes. Page 119, you say, the trail, radical aloneness. Alone had always felt like an actual place to me as if it were a state of being, 
but rather a room where I could retreat to be who I really was. The radical aloneness of the PCT had altered that sense. Alone wasn't a room anymore, but the whole wide world. And now I was alone in that world, occupying it in a way I never had before. Living at large like this, without even a roof over my head, made the world feel both bigger and smaller to me. Really, it was. It, my aloneness, you know, I had gone from being, you know, this aspiring writer yes. who would have profound aloneness, you know, in my little room when I was writing. Mm -hmm. And that's where I would seek solitude. And then I went into the world and expanded that sense that that room became bigger. That was such a powerful experience for me. Okay, so here is the biggest thing. The very idea. What's the biggest thing? The biggest thing. The very idea. The very idea. The whole book is a metaphor for conquering fear. But the very idea. I mean, there have been times when on my own property, alone at night, <laughs> I'm scared. Just just walking by myself and I the know. dogs. I know. So the idea of being in uncharted territory in the wilderness, pitch black, by yourself, female, on a path you you only know where it's going because you've got a, a, a map to say it is and you were not afraid or were you afraid i know you created this mantra of right. i'm not afraid and i said to myself is every time you'd say it i'm not afraid i would say i'm not afraid but i do believe in spooks i do i do i do i do i do i do believe in spooks i do i do i do i do i do believe in spooks well yes listen I, the, the most important thing to me, I guess, that I would that I would hope readers that you will trust me, believe me, yes, okay, yes, that you will take away from Wild, is is that that I'm not different than you. I'm not more like I wasn't more courageous or brave or you know I was I have those same fears. I, I could walk down this driveway and and also get creeped out yeah. by you know a sound. Yeah. You know, so it's not like I came swooping in like this big you know Amazonian brave woman and said I'm going to go hike 1,100 miles through the wilderness. What I decided, so much, so much of the most important things I've ever done in my life that have actually uh, uh, been, you know, brought real, real things into my life, yeah. that enriched my life, the big things, um, they've all happened because I decided that I wasn't going to let fear hold me back. Right. I wasn't going to let, you know, my doubts, my, my, my mistakes, my shame, any of those things. And so, you know, being fearless is, is, is simply, it's not being unafraid. It's, it's existing within, with your fear, yeah. saying it's okay. It's I certainly can walk being courageous, fear. being courageous is having the feeling of fear and doing it anyway. That's so what right. you were, were so, you were courageous. Maybe. No, what no, I did, no, you were. what Except I did is I said, I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid. Every time I heard that branch crack in the night or whatever, snap, crackle, pop, I'd think, that's just an animal. It doesn't want anything to do with me. And I was right. I was right. Mm -hmm. I could have said, oh my God, the bear's going to come and eat me and I, you know, run shrieking out of the wilderness. And then my trip would have been over. The other thing that gets me is for years, everybody who's watched the Oprah show knows, I would walk out with my high heel shoes, I'd put them on, I'd sit there, look pretty for the show, and then take them off immediately afterwards because there's nothing worse than having your feet hurting. Yeah. And your feet were in the wrong size shoe yeah. for most of this hike. I cannot yeah. believe that you bore that. It, they really hurt. They really, really, really hurt. And you know, even once I did get the right size shoe, they still hurt. I mean, I just, first of all, you know, carrying a heavy pack and walking basically a marathon every day through the wilderness is going to hurt your feet you know but if you don't have just the exact right shoes that you need right. and you know i just never i finally had to just come to peace with it i had to accept that suffering oh was going to be part of this again a literal physical experience that echoed the the one that i was having oh inside. that is amazing to me and that accepting would have been that. the real reason to end that <laughs> hike is, well and people do the shoes are too small people do people people and their their long hikes because their feet hurt too much six I mean, it's, toenails it's really you lost. Six. six toenails they, and and i don't know have you ever lost a toenail no it's it's not an it's it's a it's a long and painful process it's it's a very painful thing i've heard you know i i so to lose a toenail and then to put your dirty socks back on and keep and keep walking. going keep walking yeah that that um well what else was i going to do the other option was to quit which was my biggest fear i wasn't going to get cave into that you know so i just went on wow i just went on but you know i think that 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 i'm not afraid thing 
you know, it spilled over into other things that, that compelled me to keep going. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's, we always have that voice, you know, that voice in us that I'm, you know, I'm too fat or I'm, I'm, I'm not good enough or like those negative voices. Right. And then you do have to just counter it and say, um, I'm not going to listen to that. I'm going to listen to this other thing. And mm -hmm. so, you know, when I was suffering, I would say, I'm, I'm uncomfortable right now, but, am I, but I can do this. And I could do it. I did do it. You'd pull your toenail off and keep going. Yeah. Let's talk about the burning of the books. Yes. Yes. The books I carried along the way, they were so important to me. They were my entertainment. They were the thing I did at the end of the day, that my reward I got to read. So I took some incredible books with me, books that I'll never forget. But I also had to be practical. Mm -hmm. And so... I needed to lighten my load. We all know how heavy a book is. That's right. Yeah. And so as I went, I each night would you know tear those pages out that I read, and in the morning I would burn them, so that I didn't have to carry them. So my book that started out this thick would slowly get like this until it was gone. Did it feel sacrilegious at Absolutely. first? Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. As a because reader, books yeah. are my yes. books. Really, are my sacred texts. You know. Yes. They yes. Have, they, I have found so much solace in the poems and stories that I've read between the pages of a book. Yes. And so I was doing, you know, burning books out of a very different place than, you know, when we think about book yes. burners, we know who they are, right? Yes. They're people who don't want uh, us Certain to have things ideas. Yeah. And, so, you know, and I was just being practical. So I said a little prayer over, over every book and I felt forgiven. I felt forgiven by well, those writers. Absolutely. Yeah. I know. Even now, even if it's not a book that I particularly, I, I, I will move it from one location to the next because I can't throw a book away. So the right. idea, I was wondering when you first have to burn the pages of a book. It was a big moment. Because that's somebody's work. Their life's work on those pages in the words. I know. Yeah. But I took them. I took them into my heart. And, you know, when I got back from the trail, I went and bought all those books again. So I have them on my shelf. To lighten her load on the trail, Cheryl also mailed herself boxes at key points where she'd pass a post office, places like Beldentown and Crater Lake. The packages were full of dried food, reading materials, fresh socks, and, in each box, one $20 bill. Gotta ask you, I couldn't understand why you only sent yourself $20. <laughs> well, it's not as if I had an option. That's how much money I had. Oh. So, you know, the thing about that is if I had really waited around until I had what, what most reasonable people would think was mm -hmm. enough money for that As trip. you're moving along the trail, you're mailing, uh, before you left, you'd already mailed to all the checkpoints. Right. Yes. And there'd be $20. I'd mail boxes with food and supplies in them, and I placed a $20 bill in each mm -hmm. because that's how much money I had. Wow. And, but if I did wait around to have enough money for my trip... I wouldn't have been able to take my trip because I didn't have any more money. And so the oh, thing is... Oh, I love is, that moment. I love that. Because if you wait for the right time, right. you may never come. Well, and also if you wait... I mean, you know, Until, people might read this book and think, well, she didn't have enough money. But actually I did because I took the trip, right? Yeah, and I you did, did it. it. Now, I didn't have enough money to be comfortable. I didn't have enough money to get everything I wanted. I, you know, and th th this, is, this has been true in many, many ways. I mean, I wouldn't be a writer. I w Wild wouldn't have been written if I waited to have enough money to write wow. the book. I didn't yeah. have enough money to write Wild. I loved <laughs> it when you just wanted to have uh, Snapple lemonade. I did. Now, do you know that I, we look for Snapple lemonade and they, they don't make it anymore? <laughs> If the Snapple people only knew this I know. book was coming out. Yes. I know that I know they stopped making it, but I craved Snapple lemonade on my hike. And there were times that I couldn't uh, afford even a Snapple lemonade. I remember when you had 76 cents. And the woman gave 76 it to me. 76 cents. Yes. <laughs> That's right. And she said, how much do you have? I was in a store. And I, I was sort of reaching for the Snapple lemonade, and, and I couldn't afford it. And the woman behind the counter said, well, just how much do you have? And she, she let me have it. For 76 cents. Yeah. Yes. I remember when you had only two cents left, you'd bought. That's right. When I finished my hike, I had 20 cents left. Wow. I had two dimes. The last thing I bought was a giant ice cream cone at the end of my trip. Yes. And then I was out of money. And, but I was okay. I mean, to me, I grew up poor and working class and, you know, find, money was always a struggle. And I think that, that I used to resent that. I, you know, I resented being the kid at school whose parents weren't paying for my college education or whose parents mm -hmm. didn't fund my year abroad or whatnot. Um, and I always had to have jobs and support myself and such. But when I was on the trail, I realized that, that growing up like that actually gave me such freedom. Yeah. Because it gave me confidence. I saw my, my mom and stepfather 
living a happy life That's without again, money. The, that, that is the meaning you brought to this story. So it wasn't just about a hike, but the That's meaning right. you were able to tie in that everything had ever happened, even yeah. when you were not aware that, oh, gee, growing up without having any money makes not having any money not seem so bad. That's right. And, yes. that, and that you can, again, accept, acceptance. acceptance. Like I said, I, I didn't have enough money to be comfortable and to get everything I wanted. But so often that's when the best things are born. Yeah. When we have to struggle a little bit, when we have to suffer through that moment and yeah. wait for the next. So this is halfway into your trek after you bypass the Sockton High, high Sierras. You are soaking in a prayer bath and reflecting. Someone was in here, you say. It was me. I was here. I felt in a way I hadn't in ages. The me inside of me occupying my spot in the fathomless Milky Way. Yeah, I saw myself, I felt myself, you know, in the universe. And I think so much of where I began this journey is, is I just, I keep using this word lost. I was, mm -hmm. I was, I didn't know yeah. where I was. Because you'd been so numbed. Didn't know where to place myself. Yeah. Numbed. And also, you know, I think too, so much of this goes back to that essential primal need that we all have to feel that we belong. And, and our first de definition of how we belong mm -hmm. is, is given to us through our mother and our father. Mm -hmm. And I didn't have either of those people anymore. And so who was I and where was I? Mm -hmm. I was just lost in that, in that, in that Milky Way. Mm -hmm. And so when I felt myself located, that was the beginning of my rebirth mm -hmm. and my sense of redefinition of, of my place in the world. Let's get to the snow. Okay. Didn't expect the snow. Didn't expect the snow. But hadn't you left your, you left your ice pick back at the... I did. Yes. I did. So I was trying to picture that. Is the, are you walking up an incline and there are pieces of, patches of snow or what? Okay. So, you know, the trail zoom, 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 yeah. zigzagged up. Zigzag. I yeah. went up and up and up. And then it, and then it starts to, what it does is it follows the crest. Right. Okay. The, the, the yeah. Pacific crest. That's the key. Um, it's oh, the crest. crest trail. Crest. Okay. It's the crest of, you know, the, the ranges that run up, you know, the center of California, Oregon, right. Washington, like the Sierra Nevada. So the crest of that is, it's not the, the peaks, but it's like the highest kind of through line. And that's where the PCT is. So it's high. You know, you're walking, you're up there, looking down on everything. Mm -hmm. um, so when I reached this place where I got, you know, up to sort of the crest point, suddenly I just see before me, you know, first of all, patches of snow. And then it's just snow. It's just all snow. That's the moment where I would think, well, there's the snow. Got to turn back. Well, and it's the moment where a lot of people quit. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean this in a critical way. Yeah. They just they, they decided, well, I'm going to come back and do it next year. Where, right. Because there's, you know. So that was scary when I would find, when I, when I would be on those slopes. And that happened throughout the trip. Like even, even after I was through the snow, you know, I'd suddenly round a bend and there would be maybe a north face that had stayed, you know, in the shade or something and the snow hadn't melted. And I had to, even if it was, you know, 30 feet across, it was terrifying because yes. it was genuinely life-threatening. So I, I know. Yeah, it was scary. But you kept going. No one's mother would say to do that. They would yes. say, come on back. You had a moment with a fox. I did. Tell me about that. I had been um, alone. Yes. In the snow. I come to this, this fallen down tree and it's, it's bare of snow. So it's like this snowless place. I sit on it for, to have a little rest. And before I know it, I just see this, this flash of red off to my right. And I see that it's a fox. And it's, and it's just, you know, maybe 10 feet away from me. And it doesn't seem to see me, but it walks by. And then it stops right in front of me and turns and looks at me and just studies me, just looks at me. And I was startled. You know, it's just this big, but it's like, you know, there's a wild like, animal looking at me. I know. Me. And you're like, is it going to come? Is it going to jump on me? Exactly. Is it going to attack me? Is it going to? Yes. But no. I also felt what an amazing moment and so I just I just stayed still and then I said fox just very delicately to it and it and it turned and, and just continued on its way you know and into the woods and what happened in, the, in this moment and I can't, still can't explain it yeah is that as soon as that fox started to walk away I just started yelling mom 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 I just I wanted I I, I don't know why that came it out of my mouth to it, felt it. it felt to it felt primal to me when I read it and I think that um and it didn't come back. It just walked away. But there was something, there was some essence that I felt that my mother was there, which sounds completely strange, but it was there. It, it was felt true. so not strange to me. It felt like, of course, that was your mother. Well, what's so interesting? Not only that, I think your mother was there the whole time. She was in every step. I mean, even there. just 
this morning as I was thinking about the book, I go, of course. I and your mother was lead, head, spirit in charge. She was. Yes. She still is. Do you feel that? I do. I do. My mother always said, and it says on her tombstone, I'm always with you. Yes. Because that was her, I mean, her biggest sorrow when she knew she was going to die was that she was leaving me and my brother and sister. And now that I'm a mother, I understand that. that that's the, really the only thing, that's the, that, that's the thing that would cause me the most pain. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader. In perhaps the most harrowing and heartbreaking scene in her book, Wild, Cheryl recounts the loss of another beloved family member, her mother's horse, a chestnut named Lady. My mother bought her when I was five, and so she was, I, I had her really all of my life growing up. She was just this beautiful, grand lady of a horse. And my mother loved her. I always said that horses were my mother's religion. It was, that's, that's where she went uh, to find her solace. That's where she felt most gathered, is on the back of a horse. That horse saved my mother's life. My mother uh, was a waitress at the time, and she, uh, her customers had this horse they wanted to sell, mm -hmm. and she said she wanted to buy it, and she paid them off slowly, and then, you know, worked in exchange for board for this horse. And um, Lady was the horse that was with me in my whole childhood. Mm -hmm. You know, we and loved her. And she was her. failing, and, and she needed... was failing, and yeah. she was she was old, and um, she needed to be put down. And I didn't have the money uh, to hire a veterinarian to euthanize her and my stepfather uh, said that he would take care of her and he didn't and he didn't and so I found myself coming to the house where I grew up and seeing that she was actually really suffering and so I spoke to my grandfather my mother's father who was a horseman and he said you have to you have to do this put her down yeah it was me and my younger brother Leaf who were the ones to put our mother's horse down and the day after Christmas we led Lady into the back pasture on our, on our property and tied her to a tree. And my brother shot her exactly where he had been instructed to, right between the eyes. And what happened was really the worst thing that I've ever been witness to in my whole life. And that is that she didn't die. Um, he had to shoot her several times until he ran out of bullets and she was still alive. For a long time, I think we both felt that we needed to be forgiven, that we had done something wrong, and when really what we were trying to do was something right. And so in some ways, I feel like that, that day that we shot Lady was the day that we both really looked at each other in the eye and knew that our mother was dead. It's the hardest thing that I've ever done, mm. and it's the hardest thing I've ever written. You know, it's the worst thing in my life. And I think that um, I think that it went. It, it actually went as it was meant to go. It's just that we don't know. We don't know what the, what death looks like. Yeah. And that it wasn't some Hollywood instantaneous death. Yeah, I know. Everything went right, and yet it was still the worst thing that I've ever done. I can say. And I feel it now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, but I what I mean when I say that it was as it was meant to the the piece I've had to come to it this I it was I, the right thing to it put was her the down. right thing to it do it was definitely the right and thing in to some put ways my brother and I you know that was our mother's horse and there's some there's some dignity in um there was some dignity in us being the, the, we loved her so yeah. much and us being the people to do that but then you later wrote and because you, you had dreams of it the dreams of lady I didn't have to kill anyone I had only to accept a giant and fantastically colorful bouquet of flowers that she carried to me clenched in her soft mouth she would nudge me with her nose until I took it and in that offering I knew that I was forgiven but was I was that her spirit or was it only my subconscious working it out it was her spirit it was her spirit oh for sure Oh, I still sure. have that dream sometimes, and it's always the same dream I have of her. Mm. She, she forgave us. To say it was okay, and not only forgave you, thank you. 
she yes. was she's giving me these bouquet of flowers isn't that crazy what yes. we conjure yes or what happens to mm -hmm. us mm -hmm. yeah no that's um yeah i i think that th those dreams were so healing to me yeah i thought it was so interesting that after and this was you were nearing the end of this journey and it was your mother's birthday, and your mother would have turned 50. On that day. On that day, and you were so angry. I was. You were, because she, you felt that she should have been there, and she should have turned 50, and yes. you went down the list of all the things that she could have been, things she or did she should have been, or, yes. Yeah, that was, you know, my mom died, I was a senior in college. Yes. I was 22. I was at that moment in my life when developmentally what, what, what we're supposed to do, separate from our parents in yes. some way and, 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 go, and go off and find our own identities. And in some ways, you know, part of that entails really a process of sort of condemnation. We have to come to grips with the people who have raised us. And, you know, and there's a natural part of that that has a negative side, right? We criticize our parents, and then and then we come around and we forgive them and understand that they're complex and all of that stuff. But what happened is my mom died right in that moment, and so she was suddenly like angelic. She suddenly had to be perfect because to criticize her would be, in some ways, I thought, to really betray her. Right. You know. So I had to love, love, love my mother mm -hmm. because I did love, love, love my mother. But I think what happened on the trail on her 50th birthday is I'd come far enough that I could be angry at her and I could look at her flaws and look at how she had failed me in some regards, you know, mm -hmm. really minor regards, you know, but mm -hmm. important enough that I needed to acknowledge them to myself. Yes. And so when I wrote that, that there's a list in the book. Yes. And I wrote it and I thought, well, there's no way this is going to be in wild because how could I be so petty? How could I be so mean that I would write this about my beloved mother? Mm -hmm. And then I realized that... She smoked marijuana in front of you. Exactly. She, she hit you with a spoon. She hit me with a wooden spoon. Yes. She didn't... I didn't even know... Like, I applied to one college. I didn't know you even applied to two. Like, yes. I didn't even... And, you know... In retrospect, I realized she didn't either. Yeah. You know? But, as a young woman, you hold those things against your parents anyway. But, you know, I, what I realized is, you know, my part of growing up is realizing that your parents are human. Yes. And my mother is human, and that means she's not perfect either. And what part of what you realize is that, in, in the end, even of that day, is that she did the best she could. She did. Which the is ultimately, I think, for every mother or father who's ever loved a child, they did the best they knew in that moment. Yeah. And that's that, that whole adage that Maya Angelou's taught me so well, and when mm -hmm. they know better, they do better. That's and, true. And when you know better, you do better. But they did the best they could. And I have to tell you, my mother did a great job. Yeah. My mother had three little kids and no money and no support, and she was really a single mother. There was no co-parent, no joint custody, no grandparents taking the kids every other weekend. My mother was really alone. And what she, how she, she made our lives so full of love and magic, I really do not know. I do not know. I, you know, I, I think that I just every day thank her for what she gave me and my siblings. Near the end of your trek, 306, you crossed the sandy river and stopped to splash your face with water. And you asked, where was my mother, I wondered. I carried her so long, staggering beneath her weight. On the other side of the river, I let myself think. And something inside of me released. There were many releasings, though, were there, were there not? That The whole pain and weight of your mother. You were saying you still miss her, obviously, mm -hmm. 21 years mm -hmm. later. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's still not okay that she's gone, right. but something released. Absolutely. What was that? I think it. I think it was my sense that if I raged against it, if I railed against it, that I would be able to change circumstances, which I know doesn't make any sense. I didn't. I knew, of course, I couldn't bring my mother back. But I thought, if I if I refuse to allow this to be true, that somehow it won't be true. Yeah. And you so stop resisting. I stopped resisting. Resisting what was. And I said, this is what it is. Yeah. And this yeah. is who I am, and this is how my life looks. We were talking earlier about how everything leads you to the path that you're on. Every mm -hmm. single thing that's ever happened in any of our lives has created the moment that we are experiencing right now, wherever you are. And what's interesting, you say that your stepfather, Ed, had he not come into your life, you may have never done the PCT. Why? That's right. Well, he taught me how to be in the woods. 
he taught me, um, you know, he was, he's, he's really the world's most self-sufficient human being. You know, if you wanted to be stranded with anyone, anywhere, it would be him. Because he can, he can make fire, he can make food, he can make shelter. Mm -hmm. He's really one of those people who just knows how to do everything. And he taught me all of that. He also, more importantly, loved me. He's the only man who ever loved me like a father. Yeah. And even though ultimately he couldn't keep, you know, uh, we couldn't that bond. keep that bond. Yes. I think the line you used was, he loved me when I most needed it. He loved me when I most needed it. Oh, I, I thought was... that was so great. That was so great. I could cry right now. <laughs> I could too. I'm going to try not to, but no, I thought that was just, because so often people get hung up in the story of their lives and my mother wasn't there and my dad didn't do what I needed him right. to do. But were they there when you needed them? He loved me when it mattered. When it mattered. I was a, a child so hungry, so hungry for a father. Yeah. And I got one. And I had him in those years when I was a young woman. You wrote woman. at one point you were ravenous for love. I was ravenous for love. That all comes love. out of that hunger of never yeah. getting it from your father when you're yeah. a little girl. You understand that. Yeah. Little girls who don't get it are ravenous for it. They and that's are. why they're always searching and looking in the wrong places. That's right. And there's this moment, that, you know, in my life that I also wrote about in, in Wild, where I talked to this, after my mother died, a friend sent me to this astrologer. And the astrologer says, you know, where you're, wo you're, you're wounded in the place where your father, uh, you know, wounded was, was yes. wounded. Yes. And that's what our fathers do. If they're yes. wounded and they don't heal that wound, they pass it yeah. on. In writing while, Cheryl says it was her intention to tell her story with love and compassion towards the people closest to her, even if relationships had become strained. I loved my husband, he loved me, but I was just too young and in too much grief to sustain that kind of bond. And so what I did is I set about destroying that myself. I, you know, cheated on my husband in ways that I knew at the time were, you know, the I knew it was the wrong thing to do, but I couldn't really keep myself from doing it. You know, just because our love was changing into something else, you know, we didn't want to lose it. And so Paul and I, when we broke up, um, you know, we, we did love each other, you know, a lot. And we, uh, we worked really hard when we got divorced to stay friends. How is Paul now? What was his reaction to? I always wanted to know what other people thought about the book who were written in the book. He's great. Yeah. Your uh, ex-husband? My ex-husband emailed me uh, a couple weeks ago. Really? Was, yeah, he did. Suddenly, I just got this email, and he said, I love the book. Wow. Uh, you hadn't made, sent him a galley or anything? I hadn't sent him a galley. Mm -hmm. um, he, he loved the book. He said it made him really reflect deeply and understand things about both of our lives that he, he didn't before. And he thanked me for, for writing it and for writing about him with such love mm -hmm. and gentleness. And he said, congratulations for all your success. You deserve it. Wow. <laughs> so see, I married a good, I married, I married, I picked good men. That's one of my, you know, I mean, I, I always knew he was a good man, but I didn't know how he would respond. So I was really touched. Mm -hmm. I was really touched. Um, my stepfather uh, came to my reading uh, a few days ago in Duluth. Hmm. I hadn't seen him or talked to him for hmm. years. And he um, gave me a big hug. Wow. And he said, um, I love you and I never stopped loving you. And I will always love you. Wow. And I said, I know and I, I love you too. My brother loves the book. He, he was really moved by it. We had hmm. the most profound conversation of our lives after he read the book. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Is there a part of you that yearns for your mother to be here and know about the book? Every part of me. I mean, what's so strange, as, as I was coming here today, mm -hmm. I thought, I wish I could tell my mom that I was going to meet Oprah. I mean, you know, she, that's what's so amazing. She, she, she would absolutely die like she loved you. So, I mean, I can't believe that, that she doesn't get to be here for this. It's mm. terrible. Um, it would be so beyond anything that we ever imagined. Like, I was also trying to think, does my, did my mom even know what the New York Times bestseller list was? Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know that I knew what that was as a kid. I, you know, I didn't grow up in this, mm -hmm. this culture I live in now. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that the, the most striking thing to me about my mother is in those first years after, after she died, I could not imagine the world without my mother. I had so much trouble thinking I was going to have to live the rest of my life without her. And now I can't imagine the world with my mother. 
Mm-hmm. It's like that I just can't even really, wow. I mean, you know, I've lived so far beyond her, I can't imagine her in the world anymore. Who would you be had you not done this hike? That's such a hard question. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, I think that I would be, I would be me. Mm-hmm. I would be who I am. I would have found what I needed to find in a different way. Mm-hmm. I don't know how that would have, um, you know, come down really mm-hmm. in my life. But I think I would have gotten here. Would have taken longer. It would have taken longer. Yeah. It would have been di- by a different route. But I think I would have found myself here. Yeah. And I think that that goes back to that original, that original uh, sort of impulse I had really to do this, where I knew that I knew that I had lost my way, and that I needed to gather myself. Who are you because you did the hike? <laughs> I think that I think that everything. I am, in a lot of ways, is born of that experience on the trail. You know, I feel like that I, I walked into the life I have now. Nine days after my hike, I met the man who became my husband, Brian. My husband and I got married on the other side of the river, just across from the place where I finished my hike. Several years after that, we had kids. And I think that all of that, that life, that life that I have now that is so fulfilling to me, really... I, I had put myself, I had, I, it was like the gift I got at the end of that long struggle. And I put myself in that situation on the trail. And I, and I walked all those miles and I learned all those lessons. And it was only that woman who came out the other side of that who could, who could have walked into this life that I am now, that I have now, I think. What is it you know for sure now? Man, what a hard question. <laughs> what do I know for sure? Yeah. I know for sure that we are, that we're good, at, you know, at our core, mm-hmm. and that that, lo- that love is really the only thing that matters. I know that sounds trite, but love is the center of everything. I think that love is the way, you know, it's the thing that has delivered me mm-hmm. to the best places, and even though sometimes it's brought me to the hardest places. And I think, too, that we can survive. We can all survive. We can all bear what we think we can't bear. And I learned that, you know, in the story that I write about in this book and and, and all the things that that I've experienced in my life. Did you feel, you know, when I read, when I finished the book, I thought that that whole trail, and not only just that whole trail, wherever we are, but so fully expressed in the magic of the trail, Mm -hmm. the trail magic. Right. uh, Every day, the sunsets and the colors and the birds speaking and just what the wilderness does. Right. It's easier to to, to connect to it. But did you feel like you were in the bosom of God? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I do every time I'm in a beautiful place, Mm -hmm. you know. Did you change what you believe God to be? Did you did your belief in God I, I, or what you believed God to be changed? I, I found it a more. I think that I didn't know. I was thinking like, wait, God's going to swoop down from some you know cloud mm-hmm. and save my mother's life. Mm-hmm. And then I realized I, I I'm I don't even have any idea who God is or what God is. And I and I think not just on this trip, but through through my life, you know, I'm constantly seeking that. Still, what is God? You know, and I and I, I, I the best answer I have is like God is within you. God is within me, and God uh, is manifest, made manifest when we do the work we're here to do. Mm-hmm. Um, when we, when we trust that 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 truest voice inside of us, you know that one that told me to be a writer, mm-hmm. to hike the trail, mm-hmm. to let go. Well, you know, everybody receives a different message from this book. People who've lost their mothers, or lost a parent, or lost any loved one, they connect, you know, on a, a, that deep level. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me. Uh, uh, hikers connect because right. it's hiking and other people relate to it for whatever reason. But for me, uh, although it's obviously a physical journey, journey, uh, it is so much a spiritual journey, mm-hmm. meaning seeking the deeper part of what is. Yeah. Did you did you see it that way? Or I know when you did it, that's not what you were doing. But do you now see it that well, way? Well, when I did when I did it, I mean, what happened? I, I first of all, I agree with you entirely. 
And when I did it, you know, I did go out there seeking a spiritual quest, but, but what I got was a, was a physical test, and I didn't understand how connected that is to the, spirituality. They're all the same. To my sense, exactly. I can't bear, you know, I have this peck. It's a weight I cannot bear. Well, this is what was happening on the inside, and this is what the book is about. And so over and over again, um, the, the humility involved with, you know, finding water, carrying your own water, carrying your own water, you know, what a mm -hmm. powerful thing that is. And I think that, you know, over and over again, the physical realm. The respect that you gain for water, for clean exactly, water. Exactly, right. Yes, and yes. all of those things. And so the, the physical realm kept delivering um, the, the spirit to me. And I think, you know, sometimes you can like over, it's like, it's, it's like you're overcorrecting in a car. You're, you're, you're working so hard to be spiritual. Yes. And um, that's what I loved about this. Where, you know, we talk a lot about it on many of our shows on OWN, but this is actually doing it. Right. You have to live it. And mm -hmm. you have to connect to that that part of you that is spiritual. Otherwise, you wouldn't have wouldn't have survived. That's right. Yeah. And think about that. I mean, we all know this, right? Go for a walk. Yeah. Go for a walk, and something will happen. I promise you. You know, thirty minutes. Just go out there by yourself. Don't put anything in your ears, and let whatever happens happen. You know, and it's what will happen is that you're gonna you're gonna hear that that thing inside of you that is that is you. You know. Yeah. And so, eleven hundred miles of that, a lot more happens. Um, so many lessons for. For those of us who haven't done it yet, but obviously I'm going to do it. <laughs> I'm going to do it. Y'all can join me or I'm going to do it. Um, but what, what did the trail teach you? I know the book is about all of that, but mm -hmm. if you had to sum it up. Acceptance. Mm. I think that that, if I had to sum up this book in one word, it would be that. I really so often had wow. to accept, accept the fact of the hour, the fact of the mile, the fact of the summer, the facts of my life. And over and over again, I found that if I could do that, everything else sort of gave way. And it led me to the next step, the next thing that was going to reveal itself. And I think that that is such an, a powerful and important thing that, uh, you know, we, we all, we all suffer. We all have heartbreak. We all have difficult things. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, th that's, that's part of life. And that was a really profound thing for me to, to accept that and to come to grips with that. And the PCT, that, that journey that summer taught me, it gave me that, that really grand sense of humility that I think you have to have, uh, to, to keep walking in ways, both physical or you know, literal and metaphorical. Well, what I think is so powerful about this book, and I don't know if you even know that, I think it opens people up to not only be able to accept the thing that they most need to bear, mm -hmm. but I think ultimately what that leads us to is a path of opening ourselves up to love. I just feel more open. <laughs> After reading that? Yes! Thank you. I just feel Thank more you. Thank open. you. Thank you. Yeah. To life with a capital L. Thank you. That Thank was you. fun. That was really fun. That was fun. Oh big hug. Big hug. Big hug. That was so that fun. Was fun. <laughs> wow. That was really fun. I'm Oprah Winfrey, and you've been listening to Super Soul Conversations, the podcast. You can follow Super Soul on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next week for another Super Soul Conversation. Thank you for listening. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.